Good morning. Thanks to our music team for leading us in worship and song, as always, and pray that that helped you lift your hearts to the Lord in song. Boy, those lights are extra bright today. Look at that. Um, well, let me get things on here. And if you could pull the house lights up a little bit so I can maybe see everybody's face, see if they're smiling this morning. Let's check them out. Uh, maybe, maybe a little more. I still can't. Oh, my goodness. There's everybody. Thank you. That helps a ton. Well, um, well, always good to be with God's people and looking at God's word. But before we dive into our passage this morning, uh, uh, let me ask you a question. Have you ever tried to communicate something only to find out what you were trying to communicate didn't seem to come across like you wanted to communicate it. You ever been there? Or is it just me? All right, well, I think we could all answer yes to that question. I know sometimes, especially when John Allen and I were first married, I'd be explaining something, communicating something to, me, to her, and just knowing that I was doing a great job at communicating exactly what I want to communicate to her, and she would sometimes give me a look of puzzlement, or sometimes she would give me a look like she was hurt. And I, now, I'm not real bright, but I was bright enough to know that I had somehow communicated what I didn't want to communicate to her, or she didn't receive. So I began to learn these things. To, you ask, well, what did you hear me say? So she could repeat back to me what she heard me say. And, and in a one-on-one kind of conversation, you kind of, kind of clarify sometimes when you miscommunicated or you were maybe misunderstood. Well, that's a lot easier one-on-one, but it's much more difficult to do that in this kind of setting, when, when one person is, pre- is presenting information to other people and there's not always time for feedback. There's not, you're not getting feedback all the time. Sometimes you can look out there and see people, whether well, they're falling asleep so they think you're boring or they're getting to this face, but a lot of times you just don't know if it's getting across what you want to get across. In fact, sometimes those presenting can even say something wrong. If you remember, it's been a few weeks back, maybe eight weeks or so, Jay actually said something about James. And then he came back the next week and said, hey, what I said about James, that was the wrong James. I was wrong in what I said. Actually, a couple weeks after that, Jason, uh, Jason's not here. Jason Whittle was presenting one of the qualifications for elders and actually spoke wrongly about one of the qualifications for elders. And then he was able to come back and say, hey, I, I, I messed up. And um, I, I know it hasn't maybe happened yet. Maybe it has. You can tell me if it has. But I, I know it's happened many times in the past where I've said something wrong, and I've had to come back and say, hey, I was wrong about that. Anybody ever had to do that? There's three people again, Jay. Three people in here, same three people every time. And I I just love those people, right? So, well, you know, sometimes you can say something and it just be heard differently by those whom you're presenting. You didn't say something wrong, but you just said something and, and people didn't understand what you're trying to get across. It just didn't hear it the way you wanted to hear. Well, last week when Dan Alkire was teaching, that happened with some of you. Uh, Let me first say, Dan, thank you so much for reminding us from Ephesians 6 the importance of putting on the full armor of God so we can withstand the schemes of the devil. We need to hear that. We need to be reminded of that great truth. And, And as Dan was emphasizing this important truth of putting on the full armor of God last week, he sought to illustrate it in a few different ways. And one of the ways he sought to illustrate it was by using divorce as an example. And some people misunderstood and thought Dan, and know this because we got feedback from afterward from people, that Dan was condemning anyone who had ever been divorced and that God couldn't use those people anymore. Well, we as the elders knew that was not what Dan was trying to communicate. Guarantee that was not what, if you're thinking that, don't think that anymore. Throw it out of your mind, because that was not what Dan was trying to communicate at all. If you know Dan Alcar at all, no way would he ever try to communicate that. But somehow, that's what some people heard. And, and there are those who have, who have been divorced before they were Christian. Uh, there are those who have gone through a divorce on biblical grounds. Uh, there are those who have divorced outside of the will of God. All kinds of things. But let me, let me make this clear. That God can and God does use people who have been through a divorce. Please hear that. That is the heart of this church. That is the heart of Scripture. That's the heart of Dan and all of our elders. That was not what was trying to be communicated, that God could not use you. You've been divorced. Because if God could not use us because of some of the things in our past, 
We know he couldn't use any of us, right? We'd all be just thrown in there. And when we talked about this issue at Wednesday morning at the elder meeting, Dan was the first to quote this great verse in Romans 8.1. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We do not want anyone to feel condemned because of something has happened in your life, whether past or currently, whatever. That is not the heart of this church. Dan, what what happened, got the more context, Dan had actually heard a commercial the day before he taught that was promoting a a specific attorney office saying that they could make make getting a divorce easy. Now, if you've ever been through a divorce or ever known someone who's been through a divorce, you know that it's far from the truth that divorce is ever easy. No matter what the cause, no matter what the reason, it's never, ever, ever easy. And yet this attorney's office was making, wait, just come to me and I'll make it easy. It's never easy. And yet the enemy of our soul can deceive us, making us think that it's easy and, and there won't be any consequences to things we do. And, and, and not just on, on with divorce, but many other things. And, and the, the bottom line that we need to get across, whether it be divorce or anything else, that we need to put on the full armor of God, don't we? So we're not taken away by somebody who makes us think something that's not true. In any aspect of our life, we need to put on the full armor of God. That's what Dan was trying to communicate. That was important, and he had that in his mind. He wasn't able to give the whole context, and some people walked away thinking, boy, at the potter's house, if you didn't divorce, where you just, you're out of luck. Do you hear me? Do you understand what we're trying to get across now? Am I clear enough? If not, please let me know it wasn't clear. Please, you're not clear. Clear. Hey, that is not true. Even Jace, when speaking about, uh, last time he spoke about the husband of, of one wife, woman, man, that that was, was talking about currently, is the man faithful to his wife? It wasn't talking about his past. It was talking about currently. Right? They could have gone through a divorce. It doesn't automatically disqualify someone from serving as an elder. We, we, that was clearly said. And we make sure you understand that was Dan's heart. That's our heart. So the bottom line, no matter what your past or present, whatever you're struggling with, we want you to help you and strengthen your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ so that you can help and strengthen other people and help them in their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we want to do here at the Potter's House. That, that's our heart. And also know that we as elders and those who teach, we will still make mistakes. I'll probably make one this morning. That'd probably just be God's humor that I'll make the mistake that I'll say something I shouldn't or miscommunicate something and it'll be brought my attention and guess what? We'll be the first ones to raise our hands and say, hey, we blew it. We blew it. Does, it, does that make sense? Are we, we're on the same page now. We just wanted to clear that up because we've got to know the heart of, of, of the people here at the Potter's House, the leaders here at the Potter's House. The heart is we love you all and we want to walk through whatever it is with you and we all need to put on the full armor of God every single day. All right, well, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you that you are a gracious God and you have raised up a gracious people that you have called your own. Lord, I thank you for the people here at the Potter's House, this family of God you have brought together. And Lord, I know that most people didn't think that, but many people questioned because of they just misunderstood or it wasn't communicated in a way that, that they would understand. So Lord, I pray if there's people who are hurting and maybe been unknowingly offended by something that has been said here at the Potter's House in the last few weeks, or that you would help them know your heart and, and our heart for you and for your people. So, Lord, with, with that uh, in mind, Lord, we thank you that you are a God of grace. You are a God who extends your mercy um, wide and far, wider and farther than we could even imagine. Lord, help us be people who extend that same kind of mercy. And now, Lord, as we, we look into your word this morning, We are going to ask that you do what only you can do, open our eyes and our heart to be reminded of truth that we already know, to be challenged with truth maybe we didn't know, and Lord, to be empowered to put the truth into practice. We pray that it's in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, we're going to continue with our series, uh, Paul's first letter to Timothy in a series entitled, Be Strong in Grace, and this morning is uh, part 14 entitled, Self-Controlled and respectable, self-controlled and respectable. And, and please, if you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, and I hope you do, please go ahead and open there to First Timothy, uh, chapter three. We're going to be looking at verse two this morning. Um, and as you're on your way there, before we address the two items about uh, um, the, the qualification for elder, which are faithful, uh, um, 
which, which are, sorry, the, 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 new, the new ones are res, uh, respectable or self-controlled and respectable or prudent and um, respectable. Uh, well, last time we were together, Jay taught um, from verse 2 and focused on elder, elder qualifications, faith to his wife, and temperate. And before we look at those two items about how a man might qualify himself as elder that Jay reminded us of last week, uh, which Jay has reminded of us many times before, all right, uh, the terms elder and bishop and overseer and shepherd and pastor, teacher, right, we, you've heard this. Jay said it. I said it. Jay said it. Jay has said it before. We've heard it said it here. Those are all synonymous in the New Testament. They, they're all talking about the same office, the same group of men, so important that we see that because we'll mess everything up if we don't see that that's the truth. Uh, the local church in the New Testament is always led by a plurality of elders. And, and why do we keep reminding you of this truth and keep saying this over and over and over again? Because it's the way that God designed the church for leadership. And, 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 and for and for much of the church, this concept of plurality of leadership, plurality of elders has been lost. That that's not the model that they operate out of. And, and, and why um, do we, again, keep harping this? Because it's the best way, and it's the best way because it's God's way. And, and, and I don't, I, I said this before, and I, a, couple weeks, a few weeks ago, uh, Jay kind of said something similar to it. I, I'll say it like this, probably a little harsher and maybe more of a, my background football-wise, if you can show me in the New Testament where a local church was led by one single pastor, I'll eat the page. That's how confident I am that the New Testament does not, does not ever teach that there's one single pastor, elder, bishop, pastor, teacher, overseer, that's the same synonymous that leads the church. It's not there. And you won't find it, so I'm confident I won't, get, I, I won't have to eat a page. I don't mean that arrogantly. I'm just saying it's not there. I've searched and searched and searched. It's not there. That's not the model. It's the best way because it's God's way. And as Jay and I both pointed out, when it comes to these qualifications listed here for elders, this is not a time for us to sit back and say, well, we're talking about elders again. I can take a nap this morning. Well, some of you may do that anyway, um, but this is not a time for us to sit back and say, well, it just doesn't apply to me because it does. It most definitely applies to every Christian because every quality that we see in here is a qualification that qualifies a man to serve as an elder is also a quality or characteristic that's called upon all of us to pursue as Christ followers. I can, we can find a cross-reference in the New Testament for every single one of these qualifications that it's calling all of us, all of us followers of Jesus, to pursue. And, and as Jay asked this question, uh, a couple weeks ago, which, uh, which, which one of these qualities in, in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7 would you not want to be true of you? Think about that. Well, you know, I really don't want to be faithful to my wife. I'll just go ahead and tell you that. I, I don't want to be uh, temperate. I don't want to be self-controlled. No, thank you. Does anybody really want to say that? No, we would all say, hey, count me in for all of this. The truth is that anyone wanting to be conformed more and more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ would want all these things to be true of them. So this passage is not just for those who one day might aspire to be an elder or an elder now, but it's for all of us. It's also important for us to understand that these qualities or characteristics are not, listen very closely, these are not things to be worked for. They're not to be worked for. They're to be worked out because of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, because you're being led by the Spirit. Let me say that again. These qualities are not things that we work for. They're things that are to be worked out in our life as our life is controlled by the Holy Spirit in us. I hope that's clear. There's a big difference. You can work as hard as you want to make these things a reality, but if it's not on the inside, it will never become a reality. That's what I'm trying to say. Well, as I mentioned before last week, uh, and you know, Jay picked up, Verse 2, where I left off, by covering the first two qualifications of an elder that fall under the overarching qualification of being above reproach. Remember, that's the above, above reproach, all right, is the overarching qualification for an elder. And everything listed below that is really sh showing what does it mean, what it look like to be above reproach, all right? Um, it, remember, above reproach means an accusation that can't stick like Teflon. And Jay even used the word integrity when referring to being above reproach, which I really appreciate. What a great, strong word, integrity, someone who has integrity. The word integrity comes from the word integer. 
Any math majors here or math teachers that want to admit you're a math teacher? So, okay, yeah, okay. And math teacher, it, it comes from the word integer. And an integer is a what kind of number? Anybody know? What? It's a whole number. It's a whole number, all right? The, the, the word integrity comes from the word integer, means whole. And, and I love this. I heard this illustration when I was in college. In fact, somebody kind of challenged me in my own walk with Christ with this illustration. Hey, if you take an onion and you take the, the, the I don't know if you call the skin off the onion, and you take an onion and you peel one layer of onion back, what do you get? What's that? Another layer of onion. And guess what? You keep peeling and peeling and peeling, and you have the same thing all the way through. It's whole. It's the same on the outside as the inside, the inside, the outside. It's whole. It's, it has integrity. And, and in some ways, I could just say we need to be people who are onions. Be the same from the inside out. People who are above reproach, people who are whole. And, and, and Jay helped us understand the first two qualities of, that qualify a, a man to be an elder in the local church. The first quality Jay covered was faithful to his wife, or some translations say husband to one wife. And at, at the point a man is being considered as an elder, all right, this must be consistent in his life, must be faithful to his wife. And, and a man who's faithful to his wife is what, much more likely to be faithful to serving in the church. And all people who are followers of Jesus are called to be faithful to their marriage. Uh, the, the second quality Jay covered was temperate. When the church runs hot with anger, I love this illustration Jay gave, when it runs hot with anger, a, a man who's called to be an elder has to be temperate. He can't run hot with it. He has to stay about the same temperature, right? Or if it runs cold with bitterness or somebody's rights have not been held up, the elder can't drop down there and be cold. The temperature has to kind of stay the same. It has to be temperate, all right? An elder needs to remain steady. I love that word. Regardless of the circumstances going around them, all people in the church, too, should, should want to remain steady and, and temperate, and, no, regardless of the circumstances. My grandfather, Dallas Doc McKenzie, there's your name, Dallas Doc McKenzie. His, my great-grandfather was named Doc, D-O-C. He wasn't a doctor. I'm not sure if he graduated from high school. Okay, my background's in Eastern Kentucky. We're not ashamed of that, but I'm not sure. But Dallas Doc McKenzie, my grandfather, um, was a temperate man. I mean, I, I just always think about my grandfather when I think about this word, temperate. He was just even keel all the time. You could never shake my grandfather. No matter the worst news in the world, the worst, I mean, not that he didn't care, but it didn't shake him. He was just steady. You always knew what you were going to get from my grandfather. He was a steady man. He was a temperate man. And I'm thankful for that, the example. I can't say I've always, I'll, I'll waver a little bit. Hopefully I don't spike high and low, but man, my grandfather was like this, just steady all the way to the end, end of his life. My daughter, who's here this morning, came back from New York, Kentucky, and she actually was at my parents, been staying with my parents the last couple of weeks and found some old pictures. And she found a picture um, of me and my grandfather the, the, the year he passed away. And uh, it was just, it reminded me of my grandfather. And that man was a temperate man temperate man. Oh, I want to be like my grandfather like that. Well, Jay also took some time to unpack a story from God's Word recorded in Acts 17, if you were here last week or watched it online, um, 17, 10 through 15. And from this story, Jay specifically pointed out the different roles that Paul and Silas and Timothy played in the early church in supporting the local church. Um, Jay reminded us that, the, that Christ gave us four different gifts to the church, an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, and then pastor hyphen teacher, pastor teacher, or as we see this also, it's an elder, all right? Well, these are gifted men given to the church. Paul was an apostle. He went to places the gospel had never been before. It was what Paul did as an apostle. Silas and Barnabas were prophets. They strengthened and encouraged and comforted. They worked alongside the, the apostle Paul, all right? They worked alongside when they went to, 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 to take the gospel to an unreached uh, people group. And then Timothy was an evangelist who was left behind to teach the church and move them along until some of the men in the church qualified themselves to be elders. And Timothy was called to, to along to decide to establish the church and then move on. Uh, and Jay, Jay visualized the way the church is set up, and, and he did this by showing a traditional, in today's world, a traditional kind of church setup, how the church is set up, and then he did, did a New Testament model of how the church is to be set up. I'm not going to talk about how traditionally the church, especially in the United States in the last probably 50 to 70 years has been set up, but let's just, just be reminded of what does the New Testament teach about 
the, the structure of the church. Well, let me pull this up here. All right. New Testament church. Well, first what happened is that, is that um, Paul and maybe Barnabas uh, would go into an area, an unreached people group, and they would take the gospel. And then they would, they would share the gospel, and some people would, would come to know Christ. They would put their faith in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they'd have these people come around them. And uh, so they kind of, what we, just a, a group of, a core group of people around them. All right? And then what, what, what would happen then is that um, they would leave, the little yellow dot, they would leave, and Timothy would come in. All right, and when Timothy came in, he would find out find some people who were qualified to be deacons, and just watching their life and watching how they served, and then they would they would make them deacons, and then some of those deacons would then qualify themselves, and because of giftingness and and, and other things, they would become elders. All right, and then after that took place, then you would see that around the elders, all right, the other people. Centered around the elders, you see the little circles around there. These other people will come along, and the elders will start shepherding and teaching and leading those people, right? And then the, some of these people would become deacons. Some of these people would uh, become what you call it's up to you, all right? Just other people, the part of the body of Christ, serving in the name of Christ, serving each other, serving the community, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, all right? This this is what happened. This is the, the the model of the church, all right? So. Um, so and you've got Timothy there in, in the middle, and he's helping this take place. Well, it, at some point, all right, um, once it was established, the church was established, did you see that happen? Let me show that again. Look at that little center yellow dot there. This is, Jay did this. I love this, all right? And, and watch this. Whoop. Where did Timothy go? Where did he go? Well, Timothy went, and he followed up the ministry of Paul and maybe Barnabas, Right where they had been ministering, taking to, gotten people had come to know Christ in a new place, and they got to this point where they were going to go and they were going to take the gospel to some other people who had never heard before. And Timothy came in and he established the church. Now, this is amazing, Jay. I'm just just, just amazing what happened here with this. All right, um, and this is the New Testament model. Okay, this is the New Testament model. And for some reason, people got the idea that Jay from 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 doing this. Let's do this again. Okay, that Jay was leaving the church. Did you see that? Jay's leaving. You, you, didn't you all didn't know that? Just kidding. But some people, again, feedback we got from the message, some people got the idea that because of the dot disappearing from the screen, that Jay was leaving the church. Yes, Jay has served as the Timothy, the evangelist for our church. That's what, what, what Jay has done here at the Potter's House. But once the elders were established, they... And yet Jay, Jay was there, and then Jay stepped out of that, in some ways, role as the evangelist. And the elders were established, um, and Jay was asked to stay on and use his teaching and counseling gifts to help continue to build up this church. And as Jay said, he, he's not one of the elders, all right? And, and as Jay has been doing, the, he's been doing this for a number of years and, and being a tr- tremendous, tremendous blessing to our church. And as Jay said, we've been doing this for years. And, and he, 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 you do this, and it's the potter's house. This is the potter's house. We've been doing this for years. You say that again. We've been doing this for years. Jay has not been in the center, and he's been here at our church for years. If Jay was going to go somewhere, it would have happened a long time ago. All right, and not, no, I'll come to this in a second. So the yellow dot has been out of the center for years. Jay has also been able to travel around the world, serving as an evangelist to many other churches around the world, encouraging, building up, helping set up elders and deacons in those churches as well. What a blessing for our church to be able to send Jay out and do that. How wonderful is that? We get to touch the world because we have somebody who's been called as an evangelist in the New Testament New Testament idea of an evangelist, to go out and strengthen and encourage and help set up and build up local churches. And yet, Jay's still here. He's still here. And, and let me uh, make, and, and, and he will continue to be here as long as the Lord wills. Am I right with that, Jay? Okay. Let me make this clear. Jay is not leaving our church. Did you hear me say that? Jay is not leaving our church. Uh, this is not in the plans of Jay or the elders. Now, of course, the Lord could change this, but he has not done that at this point. 
And I also realize, with me taking on more of a teaching role at our church, people have asked me, well, are you your associate pastor? Let me make this clear. I am not the associate pastor of the Potter's House. I'm one of the elders who's been asked to serve our church in teaching on Sunday mornings. That, that's, that's, that's what I do. That's what I'm doing. I've got another ministry called with Fellowship Christian Athletes where I minister to football coaches who are impacting thousands of young men all over the Midwest. That, that's what God has called me to do. And at the same time, I get to serve as an elder at a church and then use my gift of teaching to help encourage and build up our church. That's, I'm not the associate pastor. Okay? That, now, you could use the term pastor for me, but if you do that, you also have to use it for Dan and Jason and Brian and Curtis and Chad and Matt because they're also pastors. I know that's really weird for some of you. It's your background. You only call one guy a pastor. That's not true. That's not biblical. You can call me pastor. That's fine. You can call me elder. Don't, please don't call me bishop. That's a little awkward. Um, <clears throat> um, but so I, I trust... All right. I trust that this helps alleviate alleviate anyone's fears. That oh, I'm sorry. Go, let me go back here. That because that happened, that Jay's leaving our church. And, and it's amazing. Again, communication. Right. Some people hear things differently. That's not happening. All right. That he's not going anywhere. At least for right now. Um, and with this review. We are now ready to look at our passage this morning and begin to unpack the two qualifications we're going to look at for elders this morning. I, thanks for bearing with me through that, but I think it's important. The first thing was important. This was important to review what Jay did, but also to remind and alleviate anybody's fear that because the yellow dot disappeared means Jay's disappearing. Now, he will disappear at times. He will go to places around the world, and with our support and our prayers and us all the way behind him, he helps build up other churches to make an impact for the glory of God. Well, Please stand with me now as we read God's word together. We'll be reading the same passage we've read the last few weeks together. Um, we're only going to be dealing with one verse and two words in one verse this morning, but we really need to again be reminded of the context, and that's found in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Read this with me. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer, then, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so he will not become conceited and fall into condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. You may be seated, confident that God will bless the reading, the hearing, and the carrying out of his word. And I'll go ahead and say this. Um, someone asked me a few weeks ago, actually a few people have asked me, what translation do you teach out of? Um, it's not the Brian Standard Version, I can tell you that. Um, it's the New American Standard Version, and why do I do that? I'm just used to it. I've used it for so many years. It's what I, almost the way I think. But a lot of times, and you'll see, I'll quote other translations, and I'll do that this morning um, as well to help us. Maybe it's sometimes just good to hear another translation read. Oh, wow, that word helped me understand that. All right, so that, I, I do that. And, um, but as we examine the, the, the next two qualifications of an elder in, in verse 2 this morning, I want to remind us of the two overarching principles of elders that we find here in, in, these, in these verses. All right? We've got the calling of elders, which we dealt with, and the qualifications of elders. So this, this, this next big heading, that's where we're hanging out right now for a little while, is the qualifications of an elder. All right? So and as we examine these two qualifications of an elder, please remember that, again, that anyone who wants to conform to the image of Jesus, these are things you want to be true of your life. Well, look with me in verse 2 at the word prudent. Prudent. And you're thinking, is that prude? No, that's prudent, which in, in other translations is self-controlled. And uh, it, it means having the ability to control one's desires and impulses and the emotions behind them. Let me say that again. Someone who is prudent or self-controlled, all right, has the ability to control their desires, their, their impulses, and the emotions that are behind those. It's an inward reality. If you want to write something down besides this, one word, put inward. Inward. It's, it's inside. Right? Self-control um, is what happens on the inside. 
It's, it's in a sense a thoughtfulness. Some, some translations say sober-minded because they're trying to get, it's something going on inside of us. And often in, in, in the New Testament and the Old Testament, the heart and the mind, they're, they're synonymous. When we talk about someone's mind, we're not talking about the, the gooey-ooey brain in there. We're talking about their thoughtfulness, their ability to think through things, right? And it's, con- and, and it's connected with their heart, right? So this, this, this idea of being prudent or self-controlled is someone who has able to control their emotions, their, their impulses inwardly, all right? Now, um, being self-controlled or prudent goes hand-in-hand hand with the next word, all right? There's verse 2. See, it says respectable, respectable. It, it, it's, it's a word that means an orderly life. And some of you are thinking, oh, no, <laughs> I'm in trouble. Now, it doesn't mean you have to have a spreadsheet that runs your life or you have to have your Outlook calendar all just in a row, but it does have an idea of having someone who has an orderly life that's well-arranged, and it comes from the root cosmos or cosmos, which we often we use the, the world, all right, the world, cosmos, the cosmos or cosmos, all right, which means the ordered world. And it's an, it's an outward expression over the inward reality of being self-controlled. So self-controlled or prudent is inward, respectable is outward. It's the outward expression of that. It, it actually comes from the same root. If you look back in, in chapter 2, verse 9, it says, likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing that goes along with godliness. The word adorn is from the same root, cosmos, to, have, to, to order their life, order their, even their dress, the way they dress, that would communicate, I live a godly life. You see, see what I'm saying? It's an, an ordered way. It's, a, it's, 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 it's fashioned in a sense, right? Um, in, in other words, being prudent or self-controlled leads to being respectful, respectable. Okay, if you're self-controlled, it will lead to you being respectable. Or you can flip that around. Respectable is the outward expression of being self-controlled. Right? A well-ordered mind leads to a well-ordered life that will be respectable by others, or respected by others. People will take notice of someone who shows self-control and will respect them for that. Think about this. When people see a life that is self-controlled, and comes from the inside, all right, self-controlled, all right, it makes a respectable kind of life, and people will give respect to that person. I think about when I think outside of my dad, the man that I respected the most, he's now with the Lord, was a guy named Bob Ward. Bob invested his life into me from when I was about 22 years old until he went to be with the Lord in 2016. And what I saw in Bob was worthy of respect. His kindness, his, 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 his fierce um, battle for the truth of God's word, his love for me, his love for my family, um, uh, his gentleness, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his self-control, it just came out of his life. And you know why? Because it all came from the inside. He was self-controlled. His life was ordered on the inside. And you know why that was? Is because Bob spent every single day, time every single day at the foot of Jesus in his word, every single day. And it came, it couldn't help but come out of his life. And so who do you think of? And you think, man, I respect that person. That's somebody I really respect. If you respect them, it's because of something going on the inside that manifests itself on the outside. Think about that. Who do you respect? I respect many people, and Bob is the one that came to mind. So let me ask this question. You're thinking, well, okay, we're done. That was was the shortest ever. And like Jay said a couple weeks ago, we're not done. All right? Jay even had like this evil laugh, <laughs> you know. Um, but that's not evil. It's not evil. It's good. I hope you're not thinking. So you're still thinking, okay, respectable, okay, this, this self-controlled, respectable. What's that look like? What's that look like? Now, you may have something go through your mind. I want to give you a biblical picture, one of many biblical pictures that we could use that help us understand what does it mean to be self-controlled that leads to respectable life. Um, the first one that came to my mind uh, when, I, when I looked at this passage, I was like, okay, how, how can we illustrate this? How can we see what does it practically look like was David in 1 Samuel chapter 24. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I encourage you, you can follow along with me. 1 Samuel 24, 
I encourage you to turn there in God's word. And, and, and let me set this up. The first king of Israel was, you can help me out, the first king of Israel was Saul. All right? Saul was the, the kind of king that other nations had. And it was the kind of king that Israel wanted. Tall, dark, and handsome. It says that Saul stood head and shoulders over everybody else. I mean, this, this guy, got, Saul looked like Jason Whittle. All right? I mean, this, he just... Just a massive guy, and he just demanded respect, at least physically, outwardly. Now, I'm not talking about anything inwardly. Jason would line up inwardly, too. But this is, this is a big guy. And we, everyone else has a king like that. Who's going to be our king? We'll take Saul. Look how good he looks. And they took Saul, regrettably so, and he didn't love God. And he showed it over and over again. He rejected God's word. He rejected God's direction in his life. He wanted to do things his way. This was Saul. And God rejected him as king and chose David to be king. And Saul knew that the Lord had chosen, had ch- ch- chosen David after a little while. And Saul was not happy about this. Saul was upset about this. And so much he despised David and he tried to kill him over and over again. He was on a hot pursuit for David's life. So that kind of sets up what's going to really happen. This is one of many examples of Saul pursuing David. So I'm going to read this in, in 1 Samuel 24. We're going to look at verses 1 through 20. And uh, so beginning in verse 1, listen to what happened. Now when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness, wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. I mean, he's serious about getting David. He took 3,000 choice men for one dude, right? Then he said in verse 3, He came to the sheepfolds on the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. The men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day which the Lord said to you. Behold, I'm about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. It came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. So he said to his men, Far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him since since he's the Lord's anointed. David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul rose, left the cave, and went on his way. Now afterward... David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, saying, My Lord, the king! And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the ground and prostrated himself. David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of these men, saying, Behold, David seeks to harm you? Behold, this day in your eyes you, you have seen that the Lord has given me you today into my hand in the cave, and some said to kill you, but my eye had pity on you, and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Now, my father, see, indeed, see the edge of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you, know and perceive that there is no evil rebellion in my hands, and I have not sinned against you, though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me, between you and me, and may the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, out of the wicked comes forth wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog, a single flea? The Lord therefore be judged and decide between you and me, and may you see and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. Let's pause right there. Here we see David show self-control. I mean, if a dude had been pursuing me like that, I don't know. It's dark in the cave, and this guy's after me, and he may get me. And he's sitting right there, and I've got my men with me, and he's in the cave relieving himself. He's in a very vulnerable situation here. I don't know. David did not do anything. He did not lift his hand to kill Saul. He was self-controlled. He was prudent. He could have taken Saul's life easily, but self-control overcame him. So how would Saul respond to David's act of self-control? How do you think Saul would respond to this? Well, the Scripture tells us. Beginning in verse 16, listen what happens. When David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? Then Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, 
For you have dealt well with me while I have dealt wickedly with you. You have declared today that you have done good to me, that the Lord delivered me into your hand, and yet you did not kill me. For if, I find a, for if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safely? May the Lord therefore reward you with good in return for what you have done to me this day. Now behold, I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. We see here that David's self-control demanded respect from Saul. David could have taken his life and Saul knew it. And he demanded that Saul respect him for his self-controlled life. Does our self-controlled mind lead our actions to be respectful and respectable inside of others like David? Does our self-control that comes out from our mind and our heart come out in our life, does it lead to others respecting us? If you're a Christ follower here this morning, then know that your self-controlled mind and your heart can lead to being respected by others. In fact, it should lead to being respected by others. And when this happens, it brings glory to God. Jesus pointed this out in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men in, in, in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. When our lives of self-control come out in such a way that others respect the way that we live, who ultimately gets the glory? God does. We just always want to be reflecting the glory to God, and that's what happens. Our light shines and displays itself through self-control. And in a world that has, listen, no self-control, would you agree with me when you look at the world as a whole, would you agree that there's not much self-control out there? Think about that. We talked about this a number of times, and of course it's, it's on the mind of most people today because they're always on it with social media. Do you ever see self-control in social media? I don't know if I've ever seen self-control in social media. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm still looking. I haven't seen self-control. People say whatever they want. They just let it all out. Their emotions just come flying out, and they just say whatever they want, which leads to people just doing whatever they want. And think about this. If those who know Christ live a self-controlled life, that leads to being respectable. You think people will notice? Whoa, what is that? That's different. And it will happen in such a way that only it can only be explained by God. I love that. When things in our lives can be only be explained by God, well, God must be at work there. And they may even know who God is, but they're like, wow, God really must be working with that person because they're not like anybody else I know. They're self-controlled. And then we garner the respect of people and then we get to tell him why. It's because the king of heaven lives inside of me. That's why. I can, now I have all those emotions just like you. I can get upset too. But he has allowed me to not show that. And let me remind us again that self-control is a fruit of the spirit. Right? If you've ever learned those in Galatians 5, uh, 16 through 18, with the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. It's the last one. Not that it's less important, but self-control is one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's because of our relationship with Him. It's allowing the Spirit of God to control us or lead us in a moment-by-moment basis. And, and this comes from having our minds continually renewed. As Paul writes in Romans 12, 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. It comes when our minds are renewed. And, and, and then when that happens, when our minds are renewed, we live a transformed life characterized by self-control and being respectable. When our minds are renewed. And you're thinking, so we just take the word and we just dump it in there, right? And it comes out like that. Well, not quite. Uh, the, the, the another great illustration of being connected with the mind and the heart and, 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 our, and what we think and how it all comes out is Peter. Think about this. Peter, when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? What does Peter say? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter says, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Peter's like, oh yeah, did you hear that, guys? 
Did you hear what he just said about me? I'm telling you, he's, this had to be something going on in there with him because of what happens next. And then Jesus tells him, you know, I'm going to be crucified. They're going to take me away and they're going to crucify me. And Peter, no, you're not. And what's Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. So the guy that was just like this is like this. Oh, gosh. All right? And here's what he says. Because you're not setting your mind, your mind on things above, but on the things of the earth. Peter was not thinking biblically. He was not thinking how God would want him to think. He was thinking, all right, man, yeah, he's a Christ, and now we're going to kick the Roman's tail. That was his thought. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You, you have to have your mind renewed, Peter. And we know later, right, what happens when they come to get, rest, um, Jesus, arrest Jesus in the garden. What's Peter do? Whoosh, whoosh, takes off the guy's servant's ear. He still hadn't had his mind renewed. Now, he gets it renewed eventually. But his mind wasn't renewed. We need to have our mind renewed so that we can, by testing, discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Well, how will we respond to God's word today? Does your life exhibit self-control in a way that leads you to be respectable? Uh, Just let me speak this because this isn't a qualification of elders. Let me speak this to the elders to the elders of this church, including me now, I would challenge us to think of areas of our life we can grow in self-control and so be respectable. I would challenge all of us, look, where are areas that we can grow in being self-controlled that would lead to a respectable life? And, and to the rest of the family of God here, I would challenge you to think of areas in, in your life you can grow in self-control which would lead to a life that is respectable that what brings glory to God. I challenge all look inside. Are there some, do we always have buttons, right? I'm not talking about the button here. All right, I'm talking about we have buttons, right? And they're like, ooh, ooh well, that gets me going. What are those buttons? And say, God, I'll renew my mind in that area. So I think differently so that it, it, it brings self-control that so I live a respectable life that brings you glory. Well, when we grow as the Spirit of God uses word to renew our minds, that is what will lead to continual growth in all areas. Well, how's that going to happen? Let me ask another question. Are we getting into God's word daily so that God's word can get into us? A lot of people talk about getting into God's word, but maybe the bigger question, that needs to happen, but is God's word getting into us? Leading to, to, to a renewed mind so that you'll be led by the Spirit? When, when this happens, when, we, when the, the, the Holy Spirit uses God's word it will show up in our life in such a way that people take notice. And you think, oh, how do you do that? Well, I've never forgotten this little illustration. I don't know if I shared it with some of you before. But the Navigators, it's, an, it's a ministry that first started ministering to Navy men in California. A guy named Dawson Troutman began the Navigators, and he had all these cool little devices to help you remember things. And I think he, he was dealing with Navy guys. that They were a lot smarter than me. But I think he, there's a bunch of football players coming along later. I need to give them, like, pictures right? You know, pictures so they can remember. This is something I remember. So if you, first of all, read God's word, you hear God's word, you memorize God's word, you meditate on God's word, and you share God's word, it'll give you a good grasp of God's word. Y'all see that? Somebody, I got, somebody goes, oh, that was pretty good. Yeah. They think like me. And I've never forgotten that. And when we take God's word like that, we, we hear it, we, we read it, we hear it, we memorize it, we meditate it, and we share it, then God's word gets into us, it begins to renew our mind and transform our lives so that we're self-controlled, respectable, and he gets the glory. So my question is, are you doing that with God's word? May we all be about doing that and allow him to work in us so it can work out in us. Well, maybe you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus. And then your biggest problem, I'm telling you, is not self-control. This is not, it's not self-control, it's not, um, I'm not faithful, uh, it's not this or that. Um, your biggest problem is that your sin separates you from a holy God, and therefore you deserve his justice, uh, and his justice demands a death penalty. But listen to this, but God being rich in mercy, that God being rich in mercy because he loved you and loves us so much, made a way for you to be forgiven and be made new. Isn't that good news? That's great news. He sent Jesus to pay the penalty of your sin and die in your place. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God demonstrated his own love towards you in, in this. And while you were yet sinner, Christ died for you. 
while you were yet a sinner, he died for you. Then he rose again to conquer sin and death. And God offers you forgiveness and new life if you would trust in what Jesus did for you in his death, his life, his burial, his resurrection, all that he did for you. Well, how will you respond to this amazing act of love on your behalf this morning? I urge you, if you're not in Christ, if you never trust in Christ, that you would turn because you either trust in Christ or you trust in yourself. So I'd ask you to turn from trusting yourself and turn and place your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his all for you, that you might be made right with God and be forgiven and made new. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much um, for you, for your word, for your promises, for the way that your word works in us to work out in us so that you might be glorified and others around us be blessed. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, help us all take a good look inside and find those buttons, those areas of self-control that we need to grow in. And then, Lord, take your word that we are taking in, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, bring more self-control inwardly so that it comes out in our life, that we can live a respectable life, that garners respect, that demands respect, and causes people to look to you. Or help us do that. In the name of Jesus, we ask this. Amen. Well, this morning, to end our time, um, I just... uh, uh, Paul would do this often in some of his letters. Some of you grew up in a, in a church that had a bulletin, and they end up said benediction, and sometimes that was a closing prayer. A closing prayer isn't necessarily a benediction. A benediction is a blessing, and many times Paul, would, near the end of his letters, would give a blessing to uh, the people that he was writing to. So I just want to give you a blessing from God, ask God's blessing on all of us this morning from Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you might abound in hope. God bless you. Have a great day.